Welcome back to Psyched for Peds, the child mental health podcast for pediatric clinicians, helping you help kids. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Falucco, child psychiatrist and mom. Today, we are very excited. We have Dr. John Walkup with us, who is an international clinical expert on psychopharmacological and psychosocial treatments for anxiety in children and adolescents. He has served as the principal investigator on some of the most landmark randomized control trials in our field. He is currently the chair of the Pritzker Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health and is a Margaret C. Osterman Board Designated Professor in Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at the Lurie Children's Hospital. For his work, he has received numerous awards from respected national organizations in our field, including the Ruan Prize for Outstanding Achievement in Child and Adolescent Psychiatric Research from the Brain and Behavior Research Foundation. He serves on the scientific advisory boards of the Anxiety Disorders Association of America, among others, and he is the deputy editor for psychopharmacology for the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. For those of you who are big research nerds like myself, you will be excited to learn that his research has been published in major medical journals, including JAMA and the New England Journal of Medicine. As of fall 2023, he will be the president-elect for the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. In addition to all of this, I can personally tell you that John is a committed mentor who has been extremely gracious in sharing his advice and experience. Please welcome Dr. John Walkup. Oh my gosh, what an introduction. It's so good to be here on this podcast of yours. You're spreading your wings and benefiting the field. This is going to be so much fun. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Thank you for joining. We've got a big agenda today. You're going to help us talk about how to identify kids at risk for anxiety, help parents prevent anxiety in their child, how to determine when anxiety becomes a disorder, and also how to think about treatment for anxiety. So let's go. Do you have advice to help clinicians distinguish between normal anxiety and an anxiety disorder? Pediatricians, I think, struggle with this idea of anxiety is normal and healthy and that it's merely a matter of quantity. Because if you think about, sad to say, the kids who are living in Ukraine currently, their quantity of anxiety is really high, but I don't think any of those kids would be considered to have a disorder of anxiety because their anxiety is directly proportional kind of what they're experiencing on a day-to-day basis. On the other hand, the anxiety disorders are triggered by normal developmental tasks that most kids embrace, enjoy, or are fully competent, like going to bed alone, raising your hand in a classroom, asking a safe stranger a question, ordering food in a restaurant. They're not all worried about the cataclysmic thunderstorm that's going to come and, you know, or tornadoes around the corner. They're not worried about all that stuff. They kind of can go with the flow. That inability to handle uncertainty, that inability to handle separations, or that inability to handle routine social challenges, those are the kids who have disorders of anxiety. I remember we were discussing some data that came out that said in the first year or two of the COVID pandemic, some international studies were suggesting that the rates of anxiety were doubled. 
your response to that was, are we talking about anxiety disorders or anxiety? Because it's appropriate to have anxiety in the context of a global pandemic that has dramatically altered your day-to-day life. That wouldn't be considered a disorder because the anxiety that you may be experiencing is completely appropriate given the nature of the stressor. And I would never medicate that. Right. Right. What you would do is you would build up coping skills. You would try and relieve people from the exposure to that kind of traumatizing or anxiety-provoking situation. The trick is that we saw kids during COVID who weren't recognized with anxiety disorders who, once they got exposed to the kind of tensions of COVID, they had a much, much larger and unexpected reaction. And so families were confused by All of their friends are managing the COVID thing pretty well, but my kid's not sleeping, has more stomach aches, more headaches. COVID's really bad for them. It's not COVID. It's really that kid had that anxious vulnerability and in the context of the COVID trigger, pushed them over the edge so that they became more overtly symptomatic. That completely makes sense. John, when do you think a pediatrician should start a medication for anxiety? So do you want to have some fun here? I think let's have some fun. We should. That sounds great. What I'm telling pediatricians to do is to take a family history at the first well baby visit. And if they get a positive history of anxiety and one of the parents at the first baby visit, they should probably start thinking about medicating then. At the well child visit for the baby? (laughs) Yeah. Here's the point. If you know you have a strong family history at the first baby visit, and you also know the age of onset risk, which is between six and 12, with some of these anxious kids presenting with symptoms at four and five, you probably can't start thinking too early about what will happen if this kid begins to convey the family risk of an anxiety disorder at four, five, or six. Not that you would ever medicate at that time. But if you're not really getting your mind prepared to deal with this family's psychiatric history, you're not going to be really prepared for that discussion if and when you need to have that discussion. Just paying attention to family history of anxiety really early on, knowing that these disorders are highly heritable, even if a pediatrician doesn't systematically ask about a family history of anxiety at the newborn visit, you can really tell when you're interacting in the room with the parents, if somebody has some anxiety, perhaps a really good clinical pearl would be if you notice that one of the parents consistently seems to present with a lot of anxiety themselves, be thinking about the child. Yep. Of course, you're going to start with anticipatory guidance about how do you raise a kid if there's an anxiety vulnerability within the family. The whole family has to become courageous. They have to think about how people within the family cope. And if they tend to cope with avoidance or discomfort and they don't tolerate anxiety very well, a lot of your anticipatory guidance is going to be about taking on the challenge, overcoming adversity, helping your child develop pluck and grit, kind of reshaping the family's focus on coping and adaptation, taking on the challenges. I really like thinking about prevention in high-risk families from an early age and encouraging the the parents themselves to be practicing behavioral strategies and avoiding avoidance and being brave and courageous and modeling that for their children so that the child grows up seeing and practicing that. Yeah. And it's the same thing if there's a family history of depression, they really need to 
understand that the most potent behavioral intervention is action and activity. This is a family where exercise and getting out and about is the kind of primary prevention for depression. There's stuff that you can do in terms of anticipatory guidance from that first well baby visit once you have that family history. Wow. We're not waiting until somebody presents years later in crisis. You're trying to prevent the onset or minimize the impact on functioning from an early stage. If the kid doesn't ever develop the family vulnerability, the kid's going to be active non-avoidant, and the parents will have built out their parenting skills and they'll be a dynamo. There's no harm in getting to behavioral health at that first well baby visit. How would you shape even asking about that? I think the parents at that point may not be expecting those specific questions. So most of the pediatricians where I try to, I push this thing with the first baby visit because it's it's provocative, right? You like to get reactions out of people. The problem, if you start at age four and the kids in the room, and you have to talk about family history, kids going to remember the family history discussion, right? So you want to have the discussion before the kid will have memory of the discussion. Because you don't want to talk about Uncle Bob and Aunt Sarah when the kids' ears are perked and ready to remember all that stuff. You want that stuff in that medical record early. Yeah, I think pediatricians are a little uncomfortable about having that. But usually what I say and teach them how to introduce it, I say, listen, you got to have a car seat, right? And you got to have those little plastic things for the electric sockets, the hooks behind the cabinet drawers. And oh, by the way, you tell them that 20% of kids will have a mental health problem before they graduate from high school. Your family risk is probably the best predictor for what might happen to your child at this point in time. We just want to be prepared. Being a great parent and being action-oriented if depression runs in your family and being fearless if anxiety runs in your family. Those are the things that you can start doing today. Since we know the age of onset risk, I can set up a personalized screening strategy for your child. I'll be looking for ADHD at three, four, and five, and I'll be looking at anxiety four, five, and six. And I'll be thinking with you about depression in the early mid-teenage years. Once you know all that, now go out and read some books and talk to your friends and relatives and get yourself prepared. You can do just what I did. And that probably what took a minute and a half doesn't take longer than that. Are there particular resources for anxiety that you really like to share with parents? Yeah. With that age range, I think keeping it simple, which is becoming fearless and working on your own vulnerability towards avoiding things. If you're the person who carries that anxiety vulnerability for the parents. So that's one, but there are a couple of books. Ron Repay writes one, Anne-Marie Albano writes one, Katerina Manassas has written one. Those are three really good ones about how to parent children with anxiety. It really is all of this kind of action-oriented and fearless living. That's great. Shifting gears. Let's say we fast-forwarded from the newborn visit, and now we're at the age of onset of a lot of anxiety disorders at four, five, and six. We're starting to see signs of anxiety. They're developing somatic symptoms, maybe headaches, stomach complaints, um, abdominal pain, nausea. We've got a parent with anxiety. So this type of child presents to the pediatrician. Typically, the default is to refer all kids with anxiety and some impairment to therapy, which is excellent. But your team's landmark study on when to use medication for kids with anxiety would suggest that for kids with at least moderate severity anxiety, we really need to be thinking about medication up front. Yeah. 
again, because you started at the World World Baby Visit, every follow-up visit is going to be like, what have you learned about anxiety since we last met? And what kinds of signs and symptoms do you understand now kids present with? If the family said, I haven't read any of these books because it scared me to death, you'd say, take some courage and go read some of those books. So they will come in and they say, boy, all these anxious kids have physical symptoms like stomach aches and headaches, and they can't fall asleep at night because they're full of worry. And you'd say, you've learned a lot already, any of that kind of happening. And the family would say, I got a very sensitive one. They turn to tears at the drop of a hat and they've got stomach aches when anything uncertain happens. I've been doing the best I can to provide reassurance and support. And we've gotten to be very tough and strong as a family, but you know, it just keeps kind of breaking through. And I, and we're not ready to think about medicine. I'm not quite ready to do that. I just want you to know that we're seeing signs and symptoms. And a really good pediatrician would say, that's fine, but don't wait too long mm-hmm. because you know what happens. Avoidance leads to poor adaptation and coping over the long haul. And you want to get on top of it as quick as you possibly can. So if you have good anticipatory guidance, early history, and they've been building that therapeutic kind of stance as part of everyday living, and there's still symptoms breaking through, at that point, you might want to say to them, just let me know when you're ready. But you don't really want to wait much past seven or eight. But if they're having big separation symptoms at five or six, so they're really not able to head to school, for example, or they can't really fall asleep at night without you spending hours in the bedroom with them, or they're joining you in your bed at night. Those are significant symptoms and you may not need to or want to use medicines then, but the discussion should begin to include men so that you get comfortable with that idea that at some point you may want to do that. I like that. And I think it's really important also how you emphasize that this is a family-centered decision, that we recognize that a lot of families may have concerns and fears about medication and may not be ready to go that route. We respect that. We recommend therapy and in the back of your head, be thinking about you don't want to wait too long Yeah, because the risks of untreated anxiety are significant too. Yeah. Because we know the medicines are so effective in the right kid at the right time, and that you want to get to anxiety disorders early. Again, this whole idea of starting really early and starting these mental health discussions based on family history, we don't do it now. But the pediatricians in our community all have about 1,100 kids in their caseload. So that's 220 kids who are going to have some mental health problem before they graduate from high school. And anxiety is probably the most prevalent, even more prevalent than ADHD you're seeing these patients day in and day out. If you're a pediatrician, you might as well figure out a way to start early and start talking about it. Because the thing that's really hard for parents is when they come in, like with a lot of physical complaints and the pediatrician says, I think it's mostly psychiatric and you need to go see a therapist. If the families aren't really ready for it, that's a relationship breaker. So From the family's perspective, it can feel like you're not hearing me. You're not taking my concerns seriously. I'm worried about my child's headache. I'm worried about my child's abdominal pain. You have to be able to bridge that gap and validate the family's concerns and be able to explain it, express your own concern that we've done whatever workup we need to do. And it's come back negative, knowing that anxiety is the most common childhood mental health problem and that it presents with these symptoms. There's a high degree of likelihood that this is related to anxiety. 
In one of our previous episodes, we talked about the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommendation. You're pointing at me. I know you know what I'm talking about, suggesting that we should be screening all children for anxiety. I'm sure you loved hearing that. Yes, I did. We wrote a little editorial, which was essentially to say they want you to start at age eight. And from my point of view, the die is cast at age eight. And so this idea of screening for family history was our alternative to doing a scared five or a GAD seven or even a full on scared or a PSC 17 plus a scared. I get where they're coming from. There's no data to screen earlier, but because we know these things run in families and you can identify them early because they present earlier, why would you wait till the kids are fully symptomatic? Why not prepare families in advance for the potential, particularly since the preparation, becoming a fearless family, learning how to adapt and cope and tolerate anxious stressors is such good advice generally. It's like wearing a helmet or putting your kid in a car seat, teach them how to have pluck and grit. Fearless families. Ooh, back to the comment about the screening tools. Anytime there's new recommendations about screening, I visualize our primary care pediatric friends. They're already carrying so many burdens and have so many expectations for what they need to do at a visit. And now somebody just added another burden to their shoulders. How do we do this in a time-limited way? What's practical and realistic and something that we can sustain as a practice? Yeah. Starting the mental health discussions really early takes you out of this is the disorder. I'm going to ask the questions. I'm going to get the answer. And I'm scared to death of what it's going to unfold or open up for me because I got 15 minutes in this session and I just don't want to deal with that. So having the discussion early, following family history, understanding the age of onset risk allows you to work your way into both anticipatory guidance that's evidence informed And also puts you in a position to not have to ask 30 different questionnaires at all these different points in development when they may or may not be relevant. And so that's why I like personalized screening based on family history and age of onset risk. Yes, so many great points. So takeaway messages would be one, ask about a family history of anxiety early in childhood to identify kids at risk. Two, encourage parents to become fearless families to minimize anxiety in their child. And finally, three, for those families at risk for anxiety, plan to look for early signs in their kids ages four, five, and six. John, thank you so much for talking to us about screening and early identification of anxiety and how to create fearless families. I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation with you in our next episode about medication treatment for anxiety. For our colleagues and friends who are listening, if you want more information about the resources we mentioned, please visit our website at psyched4peds.com. And for public speaking engagements or other questions, email us at info at psyched4peds.com. See you next time. 